Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. In uh, 1867, in southeastern Wyoming, uh, the Union Pacific Railroad was working on uh, the, the railroad and uh, the railway there. And the workers on the railroad, as they were kind of laying the grade for the railroad tracks, they ended up discovering something that was unusual and interesting and has still been a point of interest uh, up until today. Uh, They found a limber pine, it's a specific type of pine tree, growing seemingly out of the top of a rock formation cluster. And it was so uh, interesting to them, partly because if you've been to southeastern Wyoming, there's not a lot of trees in general. Uh, And then to find one in such uh, an interesting and precarious place was something that drew their attention. Uh, And really it drew their admiration to see something uh, in a place that it shouldn't be, alive and thriving, doing just that. And it was so uh, uh, arresting to them that they actually changed a little bit of the layout of the uh, railroad bed in order to accommodate it. Uh, later on, it was something that uh, the, the railroad was shifted uh, further south, and when that happened, uh, the old rail bed became a wagon trail. After that, if you're kind of following the development of it, it became the Lincoln Highway, and today it's Interstate 80. Uh, and if you were feeling inclined after church today, you could shoot on up to Sydney, jump on the 80, and head out, uh, shooting west. And about halfway between Cheyenne and Laramie, you would find uh, Interstate 80 split. And in the center of it, there's a little parking lot. Uh, and in the center median, there's this rock formation. The same tree is there. There's a little fence around it. And a sign that reads, uh, it's very inventive, by the way, it's just called Tree Rock. If you're looking for something to do today, there you go, something to do. Uh, But I draw your attention to it really because of what it illustrates and why it was so profound, at least, uh, at uh, a resting of their attention when they discovered it. And it's this, is is it is possible, and we see this illustrated at different times in nature, it's possible to live and thrive in the most unlikely place and in the very midst of hardship and difficulty. Uh, And Tree Rock is just one amusing one for us this morning of any number of ways that you could see that illustrated in the natural. And I draw your attention to it because there's some things that we can uh, really learn and address in our own lives in light of that truth, that it's possible to thrive in the midst of difficulty and hardship. And we've been in a series called Running with Horses. We've been looking at what it looks like for you and I to live our best when life is not at its best. And so that falls right into where we are this morning. And our tendency, though, um, is when we face difficulties to try to get out of them as quickly as possible, right? We, we want to get out of the discomfort. We want to get out of the trial. We want to avoid the obstacle. Uh, we want to get past Uh, those challenges often. And we have a tendency to think that thriving life or a healthy life or wholeness or fruitfulness, some of the things that we've been talking about in this series, that those are things that we enjoy after our time of difficulty, 
right? So we go through our difficulty, and then we get to this idea of thriving life. We'll even talk about our difficulties sometimes as like the wilderness, and we'll look at the Old Testament, and we'll say, you know, if we could get out of the wilderness and into the promised land, that's where thriving life is. But wherever the presence of God is with us, we have the potential to thrive. And even in the wilderness wanderings of the people of God in the Old Testament, God met their every need and provision, and they grew and thrived even in that 40-year wandering context. And so it's important for us to recognize that if, if, if we're dealing with difficulties, and it's likely that you have one or many challenges uh, immediately in your life or certainly looming in the future, for you and I to remember that thriving life is for now that we can uh, live and thrive in the middle of adversity, in the middle of difficulty, rather than just simply kind of hold on and hope for things to change, and then someday life is going to get better. Uh, Thriving life that God gives us is available in the midst of whatever challenge you're facing right now. It's available. It's on offer in Christ. But the question for us, and this is what we're going to unpack this morning, how do we do that? Right? How, how do I enjoy life? How do I enjoy a thriving life, a healthy life, a growing life, a vibrant life? How do I do that when things are really, really hard? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I want to invite you to open up your Bible app, and we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29 in just a moment. Lord, we ask that you would give us soft hearts to hear from you today and give us courageous hearts to respond. Lord, give us a willingness um, to see our present circumstances and difficulties, whatever they would be, as an opportunity to partner with you because you are present. And since your presence brings change, Lord, that we would partner with you in preparing ourselves for the future promises that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29. If you've been with us in this sermon series, you would know that we touched on a couple of these verses actually last week. Last week, we focused on the idea that if we're going to live our best life, uh, when life is not at its best, that we're going to have to be people of hope and faith and that those things go together. And we talked last week about what those things look like, that they're rooted in the person and the promises of God, and they are forward, uh, uh, forward looking, that they're future focused. Um, But we're going to actually take that concept and we are going to apply it to us being able to see uh, in faith the future promises of God, but to act in the present, partnering with him to prepare ourselves to receive all of those things. And so in Jeremiah chapter 29, last week we looked at verse 11 kind of in earnest and unpacked that just briefly at the end of the message. We're going to look at the verses before that this morning. And Jeremiah chapter 29 is a letter from Jeremiah the prophet. It's the word of God to his people who have already been taken. If you remember, the book of Jeremiah covers 40 years, right? It it covered 40 years of his ministry. And during that time, the nation of Judah is going downhill fast, that they are uh, decaying morally and spiritually. And because of that, all kinds of things are kind of breaking loose within the nation. And the nation of Babylon in world history is pressing in and extending their imperialism. Uh, Babylon becomes, or the Babylonians become the world power at this time. 
And we have a tendency to think that our lives crumble in a day, right? It feels like that, doesn't it? But more often than not, there's a slow erosion of really what's taking place. And through the book of Jeremiah, you see the nation of Judah just going through this slow erosion. And on multiple occasions, Nebuchadnezzar sends his army to Judah, and they come and they uh, uh, extend his control and, and in doing so, they take some people away with them. So that's kind of the common practice. The Babylonian Empire, the way that they would conquer a people or a country or a community is they would come in, and in that first, uh, that first entrance into a community, they would look around and they would try to find kind of the mayor, right? The leaders, people who had authority, uh, the best and the brightest, the engineers, the academics. They would, they would take those and they would take them away and then they would re-educate them and then use them within the leadership of the empire. So depending on how you feel about yourself today, you might be thinking, oh man, I would have gone in the first wave. And the person next to you might be thinking, hmm, they were probably safe. So depending on how you evaluate yourself in regards to that, but the best and the best were kind of taken first. And over and over, the Babylonian empire would come and they would skim off a few more and they would take them away. So in Jeremiah chapter 29... There's already been a group of people who have been displaced. There's already been a group of the people of God who have been displaced. They have been taken off into exile, even as the rest of the country continues to decline and erode. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, God speaks to the prophet, and he writes a letter to those who have already been taken. And in the letter is an outline of how to thrive in that place how to have life, to have thriving life in a difficult place that they didn't want to be and to understand it as a way that God was going to do something in them. Oftentimes, our challenge uh, or our difficulty with facing difficulties is that we don't want to do it. We want to get out of it. Um, And uh, oftentimes, we want to get out of it so quickly that we don't get anything out of the challenge that we're dealing with. I've heard it said that way. But also, we don't allow the Lord to get anything into us either. It's almost like a wasted uh, opportunity where we just endure pain and difficulty. Wherever you are, whatever you're facing today, whatever challenge, whatever difficulty is present or is looming out in front of you in the future, listen to me, it will not be a wasted opportunity if you engage in that place with the presence of God. You allow Jesus to be present and to participate with you in that place. It will always be something that yields growth, maturity, and prepares you for future promises and blessing. And so the letter that Jeremiah sends okay, to those who have already been taken, they're already in a place that they didn't want to be, and they're already enduring great tragedy and difficulty, he sends them this letter that gives them kind of a blueprint or a schematic of how to thrive in that place and to be whole, and to prepare for fruitfulness, even though it doesn't look like they should. In essence, it's going to be a way for them to approach living life like that limber pine, where in the most unlikely of places, dealing with the greatest of hardships, there's still some way to live and grow and thrive with vibrancy. And there's going to be three kind of main sections to what we're going to tackle this morning. We're going to be looking at the first 14 verses of Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're going to lump them into three ideas. The first is this, if you are going to thrive in the midst of difficulty, 
you're going to enjoy thriving life in difficult circumstances, you're going to need two reminders. Okay, so there's going to be two reminders. If you're a note taker, you can kind of make a one and a two and know that you're going to put some things in there. After we talk about our two reminders, we're going to look at three changes of perspective. So there's going to be two reminders that we need, three changes in our perspective, three changes in the way that we see and understand ourselves and the way that we apply our persons to the situation that we're in. And then when we come out of those three changes in perspective, we're going to go to one source. Okay, so two, three, one. Uh-oh, it's confusing already. Don't worry, you're safe. You'll probably be taken in the second wave then, right? But two, three, one, two reminders, three changes, one source. And so as Jeremiah pens this letter and sends it to the people, it arrives and it is going to be read in the community, and then it's going to be taken to King Nebuchadnezzar as would be the practice. And starting in verse 4, I'm going to read 4 through 7 on my own um, and then go a little bit further just so that you get the context of the whole letter, and then we're going to piece it out one at a time. But it begins with this. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those being carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you will too. Now, this isn't the letter that they wanted to hear, right? This isn't the word of God that they wanted. In fact, they would have been much like you and I when we're dealing with difficulties. We're waiting for God to say, hey, I'm just going to rescue you out of this, and things are going to go back to normal. Things are going to be the way that they used to be. You'll be successful and comfortable, and everything's going to kind of go back to status quo. In fact, many of us for the last two years and what's been going on in just the world around us have longed for that type of a thing, and it seems like it just keeps dragging on. But we want to hear, hey, it's just, it's fine, it's over, and we're back to normal. And that's what they would have been longing for. But the word of the Lord was not, hey, I'm going to just immediately rescue you from this. The word of the Lord wasn't that this was just kind of be this short-term thing. In fact, there were other leaders and other prophetic voices at the time that were saying just that, just to scratch the ears and tell people what they wanted to hear. But the word of God was something that was saying, hey, this is going to be for the long haul, and you're going to have to trust me in this, and you're going to have to partner with me in this if this is going to be something that brings about my purposes and my plans in your life. And so he tells them, hey, get in, dig down, settle down, build families. You're going to be here a while. We'll look at that in just a moment. And then it moves on from there. Uh, And he says, when 70 years are completed... For Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my gracious promise. So he's given them actually a timeline, and it's much longer than like the two years of disruption we've uh, endured, right? 70 years. And then we get to the verses that we looked at last week. These are our favorite ones in Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. So that's kind of the main gist of the letter that's being sent to them. And remember, they're where they're not designed to be. They didn't ever want to be there. They're enduring difficulties that they would rather not. They're certainly in a place of hardship and difficulty. 
and their one desire would be out of that place. But God actually speaks to them about how to thrive in that place, how to thrive in that place. And it begins with two reminders. It begins with two reminders. And the first one is this. If you're going through difficulty, if you're facing challenges, this would be a great reminder for you this morning just to kind of reassert the foundation of your faith. God is in control. God is in control. As God begins to speak through Jeremiah, this letter of encouragement, it seems kind of discouraging because he's like, wah, wah, this is going to be a while. But it begins with this declaration, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. This is verse 4. To all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He's making sure that they recognize that he's in control and that he is behind the designs that are taking place. Nebuchadnezzar hasn't overcome, overcome him. The gods of the Babylonians aren't somehow greater than he. That what's taken place, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar's been the instrument of it, and he would be kind of flexing his kingship and saying, look at me, I'm the world power, but it is the very God of Israel who is in charge and in control. And this is only taking place because he's allowing it to. Now, we can wrestle that out. God, why would you let me go through difficult things? But there are promises for their future that are on the other side of this that they won't get to without this as part of their story that they won't get to without this being part of what they experience. And so God reminds them very, very clearly, I'm the one who carried you from Jerusalem to Babylon. I used the Babylonians to get you there. But make no mistake, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. Whatever challenge, whatever difficulty that you're facing right now, whether that's a person, whether that's an internal issue with your spirit, mind, soul, uh, or emotions, whether that's a very practical thing that's maybe financial or health-related. Like, if you're dealing with difficulties and challenges, there, there are only things that are permitted to be a part of your life. It doesn't mean that God is the orchestrator of, of destruction or discomfort. It doesn't mean that somehow He is looking to diminish your life, but they're there by His permission. And if they're there by His permission, then He is still in control. And He already has the answer for the need that you don't even have voice to ask for yet. God is in control. And this has to be something that we settle because it's, it's honestly, it's the most challenging first thought when we go through difficulty because when life is spiraling out of control and I'm very clearly out of control in myself, I begin to entertain doubt and thought that somehow this is out of God's control. That it's, uh, oh, it's finally something that's too big for him. It's finally something that caught him by surprise. I knew it was too good to last. Like this is, this is the one thing that undoes all of it. It's, it's too big for God. Like have you, have you been in those moments? Even though you know the foolishness of that thought, don't we entertain it sometimes? It's so easy to be discouraged and to be disappointed. But one of the beautiful things is that you, you can look back at your life Look back, think about, I don't know, think five years back, ten years back, however far back you got to go, and pick a really big difficulty. And think about how God brought you through it. It's, it's easier for me to look back on places in my life that when I was in the middle of it, I couldn't see up from down. But I can look back and I can tell you where God was faithful. I can tell you when relationships fell apart in the past that there was God's faithfulness in that and not His abandonment. 
places where I had a different direction or a different view of where I should be going. And God shut that door and it created a redirection and a correction in me that yielded greater fruitfulness and a closer relationship with him that I would not have had if I would have gotten to continue in my own way. I can look back and see those, but when the door is slammed in your face, all you see is the slammed door. When the challenge is right in front of you or the wound is fresh or the disappointment is great or the darkness is closing in, like that, that's all we can See, and so it's in faith we have to be reminded and declare God is in control. I can't see him working maybe because I'm in the middle of the chaos. I can't feel him because all I feel is the chaos around me. But I know that God is in control. And we have to settle this because here's what is often the case and it leads us to the second reminder to them. When I don't sense God at work in my life, I'm reluctant to do anything as well. I, I stop moving in faith. I stop participating in spiritual disciplines. Like we, we become kind of apathetic, and we have a tendency to just resolve ourselves to where we are. Or we do the opposite, and we try frantically in all of our own knowledge and strength and understanding to make something happen for ourselves. And we're disappointed on that end as well. If I can be reminded that God is in control, then the second thing that I can do is I can look for a way to partner with him in preparing myself for what he's going to do. And you see that second part in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 6, the very last part of the verse. He tells them, increase in number, do not decrease. This is so important. This language is Genesis 1, Genesis 2. This is creation language. This is the language that God uses when he speaks to his people and they're going into Egypt. And even as they are enslaved, increase, be fruitful, increase, be fruitful. I've always designed for you to be thriving and fruitful. Regardless of where you are and what you're facing, be uh, fruitful, increase, do not decrease. And because it comes with a do this, don't do that, there's a place where our choices determine whether or not this is what we experience. And if I don't believe that God is in control in the middle of the chaos that I'm dealing with, then I won't cultivate a life that is ready to receive his promises. I will give up or I will retreat into myself or I will retreat into my addiction or I will retreat into something that brings about a, a different type of distraction in my life. I will run away from doing the hard things that will actually prepare me to be battle tested and hardened for the promises that God has for me. I have to have these reminders, and they have to be something that hold fast. The first reminder is God is in control, and the second reminder is this, and it comes just from a, a botanical idea or illustration. Fruit follows the flower. Okay? Fruit follows the flower. If you have studied botany at all, you would know that fruit, at the end, it's, it's actually something that's formed out of the flower that there's still, there has to be health in the plant and there has to be a flower that blooms and then fruit is formed as a result of that. You got an apple tree, you know that if the blooms get an early freeze and they die, there's no, there's no apples. Where'd my apples go? I didn't like the flowers anyway. No, you have to have the flowers to get the apples. Pretty important. And this is an important thing for you and I to recognize because we have a tendency when we're going through difficulties to not be intentional about cultivating a life that is going to thrive and is going to grow, that's going to partner with God in what he's doing. 
to be ready for fruit. We may have, like we talked last week, a hope and a faith that can see uh, into the future in a sense where we know that God has given us promises and we can believe him for those. But when we don't cultivate a life that's prepared to receive those, we're constantly seeing promises that have to be deferred out further and further and further. And they're always on the horizon, not because God's not faithful, but because we're not ready. Fruit follows the flower. You have to bloom where you're planted. And many of us spend our time wishing we were somewhere else, wishing we were someone else, wishing we had some other assignment wishing we were out of our problems or our discomfort, instead of saying, okay, God, this is where I am, and I know that you are with me. I need your presence to be present in this place, and what are we going to do together? What are we going to partner in? And if we can start with those two reminders, God is in control, and I'm not going to grow healthy on accident. I need to partner with him. That sets me up to begin to change my perspective about where I'm at and what my assignment is. So we move from those two reminders to three changes that we need to make in our perspective. And it starts with how we perceive ourselves in our situation. So how how does Ben view himself in this mess, in this chaos, in this disappointment, in this trouble, in this trial, in this struggle? Use whatever word you would want to determine or or to uh, um, define what that looks like. But there needs to be a shift and a change in me. See, the people that were carried away into the first exile, they were just the first of several waves that took place. In that first group, coincidentally, would have been Daniel from the book of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, also from the book of Daniel. They, They were carried away in that first wave. In fact, they would have been there when this letter was first read. And if you go and if you look at them as examples, they, they demonstrate what we're going to look at. They demonstrate what it looks like to be where you don't want to be, but to be thriving and full of life, to be full of success and fruitful where you are, knowing that it's your present but not permanent place. Where you are now, but not where God is going to take you. But for now, you're going to bloom and be fruitful in that place. They demonstrate that. But there's three perspectives that have to change, and we'll look at these in succession. The first one is you have to change your mindset from being a refugee to a resident. A refugee is somebody who's been displaced, and you're in a place that you don't want to be, and you're hoping to be somewhere else. And that is exactly how they would have felt. It's exactly what they would have been perceiving as their circumstance. But when God's word comes to them, he says, hey, I'm in control. And then he doesn't say, get ready, I'm taking you out of here. Look at what he says. He says, build houses. This is verse five and six. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. By the way, if you are planting a garden and eating what they produce on the same day, you're eating your seeds, okay? Like there's a season that has to happen there. It's for those of you who maybe aren't gardeners. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too can have sons and daughters. This is going to be multi-generational. You need to be intentional here. You need to put down roots. You need to cultivate life. You need to increase 
and you need to do it on purpose. See, they move from being this, this perspective of being a refugee to being a resident, to being present where they are, knowing that it's not their permanent place, but it is their present place. And since they're there and the presence of God can be with them in that place, they're going to partner with him there. Now, this isn't just kind of giving up. This isn't acquiescing to just uh, receiving a lesser lot in life. This isn't somehow diminishing our faith and saying, well, I guess this is just the way that it's always going to be. That's not what faith says. Faith says this is the way it is now, and with God, I'm going to prepare for what it's going to be later when he changes this. See, there's a preparation, there's a partnership that takes place there. And so many of us are looking to get out of the challenging situation that we're in. We're more focused on leaving than living, and then we wonder why there's no life. Focus on living where you are. That doesn't mean that you have to somehow accept less than God's promises for your life, less than his wholeness and fruitfulness, but it means that in the place that you are, that you accept his presence as being present with you, and you begin to develop and cultivate your life to receive the fullness of God's promises. You've got to move from being a refugee to a resident. Be present and be intentional where you're at. The second thing is they have to move from being mourners, lamenting and being overcome by grief and loss to being on mission. Okay, so if you think about these verses, these are really challenging for them. God says, hey, settle down, dig in for the long haul. You guys are going to be here a while. Thrive, 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 build a life where you are. Then in verse 7, he says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Pray to the Lord for it. Can you believe that? The Babylonian army comes in, rips them away from their families, pulls them out of their community, decimates their city, carries them off into exile, and the word of God comes and says, seek the peace of that place and pray for them. We don't, like, we don't want to do that. I want fire and brimstone, right? I want the nuclear option. But it mirrors the things that Jesus spoke where he says, Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. It's that same idea. Why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus was about the mission. He was about the mission of the kingdom of God. And the people of God were always supposed to be that. If you look at the way that God called Abram, if you look at the way that God, that God spoke to Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel and the history of it, they were always supposed to demonstrate to a world that was bound in darkness what it looked like to have a personal, present relationship with the Creator King. They were always supposed to be a people who lived on mission and demonstrate what it meant to be reconciled to God. And so he reminds them, hey, you're going to need to be intentional about this place. You're going to have to dig in and to be present there. You're going to have to cultivate this thriving life, but don't forget the mission. Seek the, the, the peace of that place. That word, that's that shalom. That's that Hebrew word shalom. Not just the tranquility or the succession of hostility, but wholeness, life. Pursue that in that place. Speak light, be a beacon of light, be an expression of life in that place. Lend my life to them. 
and pray for it. We can't do that if we're stuck in our lament. If we allow our grief, if we allow our loss, and there's place for that, and there's really healthy ways to do it. But in it, when we don't do it in a healthy way, when we don't bring that bereavement to the Lord and allow Him to work wholeness and healing in us, when we don't share that burden in the community of believers, when we don't move forward into the things of the promises of God, when we don't deal with the trauma in our lives, it turns into bitterness. And you will not live on mission if you are bitter in mourning. You can't. They have to move from being mourners to being missionaries in that place. And then on the heels of that, it switches and it moves to this idea of the promise and plan of God, right? So now we're back up to Jeremiah 29, 11. Thanks, pastor. That's where I wish we would have stayed for the majority of this morning, right? We're back to the plan and the purpose. I know the plans and the purposes that I have for you. And that word you is a collective word. It's plural. God isn't speaking to Jeremiah and saying, Jeremiah, I have a plan for you. And the rest of these chumps, well, I guess they're just going to have to try to figure it out. It's a collective calling. God has a plan and a purpose for his people. And when we know that he's in control and we begin to live our lives in an intentional way to partner with him, regardless of where we find ourselves, we set ourselves up to enjoy the fullness of that. The expression of his plans and purpose that's coming to pass in our lives. And we unpacked this a little bit uh, last week. This idea, this, this verse here, it's, it's, it's future forward. It's a lens of seeing what will be, but it's not yet. And it moves them from being a victim. This isn't fair. This isn't what I wanted. Life's always against me. It's never going to be uh, better. Like, this is just my lot in life. Like, it, this victim mentality, and it moves them to not this idea of victory. Yay, I don't have to do this anymore, but to have vision for the future. It's a move from victim to visionary as they see what will be because God's promises are true. What we sang this morning, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So it aligns them to look and to perceive the promises of God and to live their life now to prepare to receive the fullness of that, knowing that that is a way to receive that. And the most important promise, most important promise in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you go through the prophets, the most important promise that God had spoke was of the Messiah. And that brings us to the one. Two reminders. God is in control and fruit follows the flower. You've got to cultivate a life that is healthy and whole, partnering with the Lord in the midst of hardship. Three changes in perspective that I need to be a resident, a missionary, and a visionary. One source. Thriving life is only found in Jesus. Thriving life is only found in Christ. Now, you can be intentional where you are. You can look to sign, kind of set yourself up for your future. You can, in your own strength, ingenuity, and in your own kind of thoughts and uh, scheming, try to craft a future for yourself. But you will always end up with little s success and tiny c comfort. You will never have capital T thriving life. You can only have that in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the 
life. He is the vine and we are the branches. He is the only source of the living well, like all, all of those things. And in John 10, 10, I have come and give you life that you would have it to the full. Jesus is the source. He's the only way. He is the only way. Church family, if you would stand this morning, worship team, if you would come forward. You and I were to take a drive this afternoon, we could drive to Buford, Wyoming, and we could see Tree Rock. And we could see just in the very natural landscape that it's possible to live and to thrive in the midst of hardship and difficulty. And it's even more true, even more applicable to you and I. Where we can be assured that God is in control And we can partner with him right now in our present to begin to build a life that is thriving and whole, that against all odds, people could look at us and the situations that we are in and the past that we've walked through and they could say, how can they be so healthy? How could they be so vibrant? How could they be so fruitful? How how could that be? It has to be miraculous. There has to be something more here. We can begin to focus on living right now where we are instead of just longing to be somewhere else. To recognize that God's presence is with us in the present. And so that makes all the difference, that we can partner with him. That we can be on mission. That we can contend for his shalom in our context. That we can contend for his goodness and his mercy and his blessings and his promises. Not just for us, but for those in the midst of the same difficulty that we find ourselves. Even those who might be the author of our difficulty. We can pray and contend for those things. Because we can find all of that in Jesus. The future lens of God's promises was always, was always focused on the Messiah. And we get to live that in our present. Not just hoping for someday. We get to have that today because of the person and the power of Jesus available to you and I. Church family, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for just a moment. And I want you to picture the challenge that you're facing. I want you to picture your difficulty. Sometimes we would think that this would be maybe an unhealthy practice, that somehow we should just look past that. But too many of us pretend like things are okay when they're not, and so we don't address the places of need of healing in our lives. Think of the challenge that you have right now. Maybe when I said that, it was a person's face that showed up. Maybe it's a coworker or a family member, somebody who's been a constant source of antagonism in your life. Maybe you're reminded of an addictive behavior or a self-destructive tendency that you've got in your own life. Maybe you just saw kind of this cloud of doubt or darkness. Maybe you were reminded of a medical diagnosis or a fear of health-related issues. Whatever those things are, 
Now I want you to put that aside and I want you to imagine the face of Jesus standing with you as you face that, standing with you as that is the present difficulty. How would he treat you? How would he speak to you? What message of hope or encouragement would be there? Or how would he speak to that doubt or to that challenge? How would he speak to that difficulty? What way would he make where there seems to be no way? What miraculous demonstration of the power of God can you imagine right now? Because he is able to do all of that and more. Lord, oftentimes we are looking for a way out than looking for a way to invite you in. For the challenges that we're facing as a church family, as a community, as a nation, Lord, for the challenges that we're facing as individuals, we would invite you to be present. God, we know that you are in control, even if we don't sense it or see it. And we know that you are present with us in our present, that your presence is here. And so we invite you to move in us. And Lord, help us to be intentional about partnering with you in cultivating a thriving life right now not hoping for someday, not wishing for another place, but Lord, that we would be president, that we would be, uh, that we would be present, that we would be on mission, that we would have vision for your promises. We invite your presence into our present, and we would say, Jesus, we want to partner with you today to prepare ourselves to receive the fullness of your promises in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A few things for action steps this week and in these coming weeks, and these are going to pertain to either difficulties or challenges that you have or that you will be bumping into later. Number one, remind yourself that God is in control. And you're going to need to remind yourself because it's not going to feel that way. Number two, invite his presence into your presence. So be deliberate where you are and invite him to partner with you in that place. And as you begin to partner with the Lord, do so in a way where you're partnering with him in his promises.